Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. I'm your host, Hillary Allen. Former pro cyclist, Olympian, coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur endurance athletes. Chris and his team of 50-plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for the thousands of athletes that they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time-crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by CTS Coaching. Whether you're training for your first 50K or your 10th 100 miler, CTS has top all-terraining coaches who can provide you with the guidance, personalized training program, and tools to build fitness and dial in your race strategy for your best performance yet. CTS has coaches who all combined have run many thousands of miles and have towed the line in ultramarathons like the Western States 100, Leadville, Hard Rock, UTMB, and many more. Visit trainright.com coaching to get matched with the coach today. Hey guys, welcome to the Train Right Podcast. Today we have a really special guest, Mario Frioli. He's a Bay Area-based running coach, a writer, and a podcast host. As a coach, he has guided athletes to personal bests, Boston Marathon qualifying times, national championship titles, Olympic trial appearances, international podiums, world championship teams, national records, and even the Olympic Games. He publishes The Morning Shakeout, a weekly email newsletter that covers running and other worthwhile topics. And he also hosts its namesake podcast, where he gleans insight and inspiration from the sport's top athletes, coaches, and personalities. As an athlete, Mario was an NCAA Division II cross-country All-American at Stonehill College in 2003, and he has raced competitively from the 800 meters to ultramarathon distances. There's nothing this guy won't try. His personal bests, including a 409 mile, a 227 in the marathon, and a 759 for the 50 miles. He still steps on the starting line every now and again when the moon strikes him right. I think we have a lot to learn from this guy, and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Train Ride Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Mario, I'm so pleased to have you on. Um, I already did like a little introduction of you. You sent over a nice bio. And I'm just every like, I I mean, I know of you, I know who you coach, and I know you a little bit. But um, just reading your bio and just reading about you, it's just I'm always so impressed. Like, just you're running you as a racer in general as an athlete is just so impressive. And then the athletes that you coach, I'm ah, I'm so I have so many questions for you. <laughs> Fire away. Ah, well, first of all, I wanted to ask, well, a couple things. We can, I'll let you choose the direction. First of all, how did you get into coaching? But actually, I think I'd like you to answer this question first is kind of talk about your history as an, as an athlete, because as a coach, you coach a wide variety of athletes, but mm-hmm. as you as an athlete, I'd like to kind of 
get people aware of kind of where you come from and what you're best at? Um, okay. So I didn't start running until my junior year of high school. And the only reason that I started running distance was because I had gone to a basketball camp that summer and one of the coaches who I became pretty close with, his name is Jim White, told me that if I wanted to gain an edge on people for the basketball season and improve my endurance, I should run cross country in the fall. That's what he had done as a basketball player himself. He said it would help me develop endurance and toughness and nice. you know it's competitive and all that stuff. And I said, sure, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> so I signed up for the cross country team at my high school. And we didn't have much of a, we had a team. We had six guys on the team. We didn't even have a full seven. Uh, our coach, a guy named Jim Ganya, really nice guy, but he was the janitor at the school and he was a recreational runner who did 5Ks on the weekend. But he, nice. and I don't mean this to talk bad about him, he didn't know anything about training. I mean, our <laughs> weeks were Tuesday dual meet, Thursday dual meet. Wednesday, we didn't do anything. Weekends, we certainly didn't run. And maybe <laughs> on Mondays and Fridays, we did like two to three and a half miles around town. And that was the extent of it. So for me, I didn't really care much about the training part of it. I didn't think too much about it at the time. I loved to race. I loved going mm-hmm. to the Tuesday and Thursday dual meets, having one of the coaches say, go, and then we would just race around the course and first to the finish line win. So by competitiveness was really attracted to that part of running for me. But the training part of it, I was like, this is just a means to an end. This is to get me ready for basketball season. I like this racing thing and I'll just do whatever I'm told in between. So that's sort of how I I got started. And I showed some promise right away that junior year. I won a couple of our local dual meets. Our team never went to any of the big invitationals, but we went to the district meet at the end of the year. and we had no prayer as a team of making it to the state meet. And I didn't really know what it would mean to finish as one of the top, like three individuals that wasn't on the top two or three teams that would go to the state meet. But long story short, I missed by one spot. I was the first person not to qualify for the state meet. And that really lit a fire under my butt because I was like, wow, I was, I was right there. And this is my first year doing this. I don't really know what I'm doing and there's no reason I can't beat those guys. And that really motivated me. I still went on and played, basketball that winter um but I quit like three weeks into the season to join indoor track because I figured out at that point that running was what I was better at quite honestly I started I it wasn't even like a letter from a college like I think the coach had forwarded me along this like general inquiry form from like (laughs) one of the local schools I was like hey do you have anyone on your you know on your team who might want to run like collegiately at a not very serious program and yeah it was just like an info sheet type thing and I was like oh wow and I've never gotten anything like that from a basketball coach before um so I joined I joined the indoor track team same sort of deal like I loved the racing part of it we really didn't do much um from a training standpoint but I was really interested in it and that's where my curiosity started to kick in and I was like, well, how do, how do people train for these things? It can't just be like show up at the races and hopefully yeah. you get faster every time. And I mean, that'll happen to a point, especially when you're early on in your career. So I went to the school library. Um, no way. There was, yeah, oh this is God. like, I mean, this is like late 1990s. So the what? internet was, I don't want to say it was in its infancy, but being able to find information on the internet was not nearly as prevalent as, as it is now. So I remember going to the library. I yep. still have some of these books on my shelf, but I was getting like, 
these like sports illustrated guide to track and field. Um, like these, these, and I, and I, uh, I don't mind. I mean, the, the, the overdue fee is probably super high right now because I got these things in like 1998, but I still have them like on my bookshelf. I just kept them from the library and I just started to read about how people trained for distance events. I was reading about like, you know, Emil Zatopek and Jim Peters and Buddy Edelin and like all of these like old, old names. Um, and I was like, Oh, they do these things called interval workouts. And I remember going to, we had a track at our high school, um, but it was this outdoor track and it was really strange. It was around a baseball field. It was kind of in the shape of a diamond. Uh, it was four and a half laps to the mile. We actually had meets on it. It was four and a half laps to the mile. Oh the four by four handoff was in a different spot. The 800 started like at the top of the straightaway and then you're in two <laughs> laps of the track. It was really weird, but we had like, another track. Really, like what's like really steep and like hard curves to make if it's a diamond. No? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really, really tight turns. And um, Maybe you're like, I, you know, your basketball skills would help you with that. I rem- <laughs> but I remember going to the track like on my own one day and doing like 200 meter repeats um, huh. really fast because that sounded like, I, that sounded like one of the workouts that I had read about, you know, in the book. And I was like, well, if this yeah. is what these guys did to get faster, um, you know, maybe so- this will help me too. And so where was that transition? Because obviously you you quit basketball, then you think, okay, mm-hmm. I have this promise at running, but you were still yeah. weren't really taking like training that seriously. Like you said, it no. was, you know, you weren't really doing that much. So where did that kind of click or make sense? You're like, okay, if I really want to get good at this, like you were obviously good at racing, like trying yeah. hard, but like, where mm-hmm. did that click for you that you had to kind of do something more? It's not like a ball sport where you like practice technique. Right. It was, it was spring of that junior year. Um, so I was doing outdoor track by that point. I just described him reading all these books and learning more about training and on my own going to the track and doing interval workouts instead of just doing this like, you know, two, three mile um, loop around town <laughs> and going into the following summer. So this would be summer going into my senior year. I set this pretty audacious goal at the time where I said I wanted to win the state meet in cross country, which was pretty bold because I didn't yeah. even qualify for the state meet the yeah. year before, but that I mean, I think that really speaks to my mindset in terms of athlete. I'm like, I'm just going to try and win. Like I really wanted to try and win. And I ended up going to a workout for a local running club called the Central Mass Striders. And I met a guy named Bill Gadare, who was the coach. And they did these like Tuesday night workouts, which I'm sure they still do at Worcester (laughs) State College. And he gave me some really good guidance. I was doing he was a real competitive runner. We were doing workouts like four and 800 meter repeats, thousands, things like that. So I started doing that in the summer going into my senior year. And he, and he was like, he was great. He said, look, you really shouldn't be doing too many of these track workouts in the summer, but you need to just run more and increase your mileage. So for me at the time that was getting up to like 30, 40 miles a week in the summer going into my senior year, but I did it pretty consistently. And I met, uh, another, um, high school athlete during that time named Sean McEwen who ran for rival high school, Millbury high school. And that was Bill's alma mater like years and years before. And yeah. Sean and I became really fast friends. He's still my best friend to this day. He was my best man at my wedding. I was in his wow. wedding. We ran together. We ended up running together in college. So we ran together that whole summer going into my senior year. We raced against each other. He was a year behind me in the league. And then going into my senior year, um, I was just a different athlete than I was yeah. the year before I was essentially writing my writing and executing on my own training because you know jim who was our cross-country coach he he was fine with that he was like okay if you want to go do more like you're welcome to go do more he was he was pretty relaxed about it but 
I had a good senior year and I, I didn't win the state meet, but I finished seventh. Um, so that was a nice improvement from the year before where I didn't qualify and I stuck with track that entire year, ran indoors, ran outdoors and then went on to run at Stonehill college. And it's just continued to snowball from there. Man, this is, I mean, I already knew you were a badass, but just, I want to meet that like young Mario and be like, okay, like, no, you don't, he was a jerk. Uh, I, I doubt it. But like, just, I also just noticed from your story, it's just that like that unyielding belief, like you believed that you had something to like, prove mm-hmm. like you believed in yourself like you took it upon yourself to do these things like i mean i i guess i'll ask this question later but i think that did that have an influence in you kind of translating your personal running into coaching yeah absolutely i've always had a curious mind and i've always been interested in how people train for things and it's funny before i got into even running or certainly coaching when yeah. i was in high school I coached um, like CYO basketball, like like sort of on like a sort of like volunteer type basis. And and I was interested in that too. I still remember reading books by like, you know, John Wooden that I pulled from the school library and like reading, reading about like, you know, different defensive schemes and offensive patterns and things like that. So I've just, I've, I don't know, I've just always kind of had that sort of mindset and, you know, I knew from, you know, a pretty early age, like as far back as like junior high that I've always liked helping people work through things. And I was always the kid who would listen to his friend after they had gone through a breakup or if they had a disappointment or, you know, whatever it may be, I would just try to listen. I I wouldn't always have something back to say um, because I had a lack of experience. I certainly didn't have any training, but I felt like I've always been a good listener and I've always liked to try and help put things in perspective for people. And that's a lot of what I do now as a coach. And when I was in college, and we can get to this later on in the conversation, I'm sure, (laughs) I really didn't know what I wanted to do from a get a job standpoint. Um, I switched my major more times than (laughs) anyone in Stonehill College history, I think, because it was as easy as going down to the dean's office and filling out a form and just like (laughs) putting it in the box. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know if I wanted to teach. I eventually landed on majoring in philosophy and psychology. And I was like, I'm going to go to grad school and be a guidance counselor. Like, that's what I'm going to do. There you go. Okay. Um, I thought I was going to be a guidance counselor. I never, never even well, got nearly, you know, that far. But that's sort of where my, my head was like at that. in college. Yeah. I think coaching is so, really to being a guidance counselor. Like, you are guiding mm-hmm. someone in their, you know, goals in life. And you become a big part of, like, you know, and factoring into their decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are a number of different ways that you can go about coaching, but that's part of it. And then there's obviously a technical side of it and a scientific side of it. And people come at coaching from all these different angles. You'll have people who have advanced degrees in exercise science and you know physiology and, and yada, yada, yada. And then they come at it from that angle. You have people who come at it more from the psychological side, which is the way that I sort of come at coaching. And I think you have to have a good knowledge and understanding and grasp on both of those things. Um, but you know, that's, that's one thing about coaching. That's always been interesting to me because you have some coaches that are highly technical and they have zero people skills. And then you have some people who have great people skills uh, and they just don't have the technical knowledge to help the athlete get where they want to go. And so this is an, this is a question I have for you is because you said you were a good listener and you obviously had, you had the skills, you had the ability to problem solve and kind of figure out almost like train yourself, like you were coaching yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So you saw obviously a big improvement your senior year and then you went on to college. But there was mm-hmm. obviously a transition in there where you had to kind of go from self-coached to trusting someone else in the process. Um, was that a difficult transition for you? Yes, absolutely. And it's still difficult for me. I am. It's interesting. As someone who has been coaching now for 15 years and I've worked with a wide range of athletes, yeah. I am not a very coachable athlete myself. And I've had a number of coaches through the years who I have learned quite a bit from, but I've had very few coaches who I have fully trusted and gave myself to Mm -hmm. and would do whatever they told me. And that was a tough transition into college because when I, when I went to college, I went to Stonehill college in Massachusetts. It's a division two school in the NCAA. When I got there, the program had been around for a while, but the men's team had not had a great, history to it. Uh, mm-hmm. The school record in the mile was like 431. Mm-hmm. And I had run 436 in high school. And the coach okay. who'd been there, his name's Dana Boardman, great guy. He started the program, you know, two or three decades prior, but it was almost similar to my high school coach. It was a, it was a hobby job for him. And he you know, he had run recreationally himself, but he didn't really have like a program or a system. And for me, I I'm a pretty like just skeptical person by nature and long story short, I just, he didn't have my trust right away when I got there. Um, he was a very nice guy and I wanted to run collegiately and I liked the school because it was only an hour from home and I knew I could run there. Um, and I knew he only coached cross country cause the track coach was a woman named Karen Bowen who ended up taking over the entire program my junior year. So she was my track coach for all four years. Um, but she only coached me in cross country my junior, senior year. And I just saw her last weekend at the NCAA Division II Championships in Sacramento, near where I live now. And I would have run through a wall for that woman. If she told <laughs> me to run headfirst into a wall as fast as I could because it would make me a better runner, I would do it. I mean, that's how much I trusted her. So and what was the difference? Like, can you define this? Because I think as athletes, like, mm-hmm. I had the same thing. Like, I am a very skeptical person by nature and Mm -hmm. I like routine. I like habit. And so like when I found a coach that I really clicked with, it took a while. Like I was friends with my coach, Adam for years Mm -hmm. before I trusted him with my training. And still sometimes I'm like, Adam, like, please explain this. Like, I don't get it. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, what is that, that trust that is the difference between, between these two coaches that you're able to actually, you know, run through a wall for someone, which is quite powerful. <laughs> it, um, it's hard to pinpoint one thing exactly. I think it was her just being very upfront and matter of fact and frank with me on pretty much any topic that ever came yep. up, <laughs> uh, pushing back when I would as I said earlier, I was like a little bit of a jerk. I would question everything. Um, but she would be very gracious in answering me and giving me the answers that I needed. But at the same time, she would tell me like, you know, when to stop. I don't know. She just built a level of trust with me right away where I was like, okay, like I can, I can trust you to take me where I want to go. I believe in you. Um, she clearly, I mean, she clearly knew her stuff. I mean, her background was, you know, in exercise physiology. She was a competitive athlete herself. I had seen the success that she had had with the women's program. Mm-hmm. prior um the way that she organized practices and just sort of like carried herself it was like you know very uh she was just very pro about it um yeah. <laughs> and it's you know what she's been doing full time for the last you know 25 years now so um 
I don't know if it was just the way, mostly like the way that she like, you know, carried herself, but she got me to buy in right away. I believed what she was telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very upfront with me from the beginning and she's like, look, I think you have a lot of untapped potential. Here is what I see in you. Here's what I believe that you can do by the time you graduate from here. If you do, you know, these things and, and I bought into it. And then the other part of that is, and this has really had a lasting impact on me now as a coach and certainly then as an athlete, she really cared about me and she didn't just care about how fast I ran or what I was going to do by the time I graduated. She really wanted to develop me as a whole person. And I was very single-minded, narrowly focused on running. I jokingly say I went to college and I majored in cross country and I minored in track (laughs) and the education was secondary to that. But she really wanted to impart upon me that, hey, you can take this running thing seriously and you can be a competitive athlete, but it's only one part of who you are and it's only one part of what you mm-hmm. do. And it's got to fit in well with the rest of what you've got going on as, you know, a, a student, number one, uh, you know, as, you know, a, a member of your own family. Like, you know, she helped me to see the big picture and just yeah. how this like running piece, you know, really fit into it. And she certainly cared about me as an athlete and my results and how my training was going along. And if I was injured, like how I would come back from that. But she cared more about me, like as a person that the rest of my life was in balance and that school was going well. And I was yeah. having good relationships with my friends and my family. And th- I think that's part of the the building trust and part of the buy-in. And you know, speaking to you now, I mean, this is, you know, almost 20 years ago at this point, it's just had a really lasting impact on me and how I coach and how I live my life. Yeah. Oh man. See, and I think that that goes along to this whole idea of what, I mean, what I think for myself for just being, being an athlete in general, it's just being a balanced and happy person. I think that Mm -hmm. all of the areas of life, like I think a lot of people, especially when they're transitioning into being, um, whether it's just they, they have a big goal, whether they're trying to be a professional athlete, but or just have a big goal and accomplish something big, is that they have to sacrifice all these different parts of their life. But really, it's not about it's not about just having running be the center. It's about having equal balance and so that it's important, but then basically the other aspects of life kind of like positively influence it as well. It's it, I think yeah. it's just like a like a circle. And I think I mean, man, I want to meet this woman in like yeah, like yeah, Karen Bowen. She is a remarkable woman. She's a great coach. Um, she so has no. What's that? No, it's like it's just, it, and she's still coaching. No, yeah, she's still coaching. Um, she just gave up the head track and field job. She's still going to work with the distance runners. I mean, she was director of the entire program until wow. just this year, and now she's still head cross country coach and still coaching the distance runners for men and women. Um, but she, I mean, she's you know in her mid sixties now, so she's given up the reins of the entire program. Okay. And I mean, to your point about sacrifices, that's one thing she also taught me is that nothing should ever be a sacrifice. It should be a priority if you really want to do yes. it. You're not sacrificing something for something else. You're prioritizing it. Yeah, um, I love that. And mm-hmm. I think just like that, that diction and like that reframing of it mm-hmm. is a really powerful thing because then you're not like, Oh, I'm sacrificing this for that. It's like, no, I'm prioritizing this. And when you're looking at something as a priority, whether it's, you know, you're running or your career or your family, um, and you can have more than one priority, yeah. you know, it really helps you to weed out the inessential stuff. And yeah. that's something that, you know, I've really taken to heart. I love that. And I mean, 
for, you said that you had like really early on that you bought into what she was saying, like you had potential and what you mm-hmm. could accomplish. I just want to touch on that because I mean, what did you accomplish in college and how that like, you, you kind of came from this just like, okay, what is running? I'm going to do this mm-hmm. for basketball. And then now it's become like a major part of your life. And what were you able to accomplish in those years? So I went into college as a 436 miler and a 952 miler. And as I said, seventh in the state of Massachusetts in cross country. So I was a, I was a good runner, but I was not a standout. I was not a scholarship athlete. I got no money to run in college out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I went to Stonehill, which is a division two school with, as I said, not a history of a great men's program at the time, no scholarship money. Uh, and I knew that I had a lot of room to grow and a lot of potential. By the time I graduated in 2004, I was an All-American in cross country. I was the first male to qualify for the national championships. I was the captain of the team my senior year, um, the first time the men's team went to the national championships. And I was just at D2 Nationals last weekend in Sacramento. And that is the 17th straight year that the Stonehill men's cross country team has qualified for the division two national championships. And the first year was my senior year, which was pretty cool. It also made me feel really old because a couple of the freshmen <laughs> on the team were being born when I was running that race, but that's another story for a different day. Oh, no, um, not talk about that. <laughs> no, let's not talk about that. Um, but I, I had qualified for division two nationals in the mile. I'd run four Oh nine for the mile, um, 1439 for 5,000. And, uh, was a pretty good runner for division two. And, um, yeah, I, I improved a lot. I mean, I dropped, you know, over 20 or I guess that would have been like, yeah, 25 seconds off of my mile time and probably yeah. almost two minutes off of my 5k time, you know, in the course of, in the course of my career at Stonehill. Yeah. Oh man. And see, like, I think that's just such a testament to, it's one of the things that I love the most about running but also just having like a good coach and good guidance, but the harder you work, it seems like those things pay off. And I think, and it's the more that you believe in yourself, the more that you have a team that believes in you. I mean, you can just accomplish so much. And so then after that, um, I mean, a lot of athletes actually, when they do collegiate sports, like I played tennis in college and I became burnt out with it. Like I didn't want to touch a tennis racket afterwards. And then that's how I found running. But um, for you, how did it kind of, what did that look like post post collegiate running? Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do after college, except run. I had <laughs> at that point, I had no real clear direction in terms of a career. I wanted to make a go of it as a professional runner. So yeah. at the time there were a couple groups throughout the country. I love it. Like, you're just like, I'm going to win state. And then it's like, you're in, like going, you know, national, national runner. And now you're like, I'm going to be a pro. This is awesome. I love this. Well, and I think the, it's a cheesy quote, but the takeaway there is aim for the moon. And if you miss, you land amongst the stars. I've aimed for the moon a million times in my life. I don't think I've actually hit it once, but <laughs> I feel fortunate that I've landed amongst a bunch of stars uh, yeah. in different, in different areas. And yeah, that goes from like trying to win the state championship in high school to saying, I'm going to try and make it as a professional runner, which long story short, I did not. Um, <laughs> but I, I've had a great, you know, I, I've had a great, like, just I guess life in general, at least one that I'm, I'm happy with and sort of how it's all worked out. But, you know, there was never any clear path to get where I've gone now, but I wanted to become a professional runner. And there were a couple groups in the country at the time that were taking what we would call like developing post-collegiate. So guys yeah. such as myself who weren't winning national titles, but were, you know, all Americans and were like a level away from like 
being really good and, and developing them, but I, I wasn't even quite there. So I remember like the Hanson's Brooks distance project, which still exists today, their yeah. standards at the time to get on the team were 14 minutes for 5,000, I think 30 minutes for 10,000 or maybe it's 2930 or something like that. But times that I was like just off. And I remember I still have the email from like Kevin Hanson where I was like, you know, Hey, I, I don't, you know, I haven't hit the times yet, but you know, I, I, you know, love to be considered for your team. And he's like, yeah, we really need people who are like close to 14 minutes, but you know, keep at it, you know, and maybe we can huh. talk in a few years. So I was looking for, I was looking for groups and the only two that I found who would give me a shot were a group that was in Eugene, Oregon called team Eugene. And it's was coached by a guy named Matt Lonergan, whose wife is Marla Runyon, who was the blind Olympian for the United States in 2000, certainly 2004, maybe even 2000. Um, and a guy named Brian Appel, who was the coach at the University of Utah, and he was starting like a post-collegiate group. And they both said like, yeah, you could come out here and train with us. And that and that's really all I, I wanted. I didn't expect yeah. to get a contract or uh, a job or anything like that, even though both groups said, oh, we can help you out with like finding a job locally and blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I, I joined Matt's group in Eugene. I moved out there in August of 2004. I spent that summer after I graduated working at my aunt's McDonald's. She was the manager of McDonald's and I worked behind the counter for like, I don't know, eight, nine bucks an hour, whatever minimum wage was at the time, you know, 30 hours a week. Come on. We're talking about the nineties. It's probably like, you know, (laughs) now it's 2004. So I mean, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever the minimum wage was at the time, but I just worked behind the counter. I worked like, you know, 30 hours a week just to save some money because I had none. Uh, because I knew I was moving out to Eugene and I didn't want to have anything permanent. I moved out to Eugene with no plan other than I was renting a room from Matt in this house that he had for like 300 bucks a month. And he was going to try and help me find a part-time job, which didn't really pan out all that much. And I was going to train, you know, with his group. And he had a couple guys in the group who were, you know, 14 minute type 5k guys, a little bit faster, you know, had been running in some of the road national championships with some success. He had a guy named Mm -hmm. Kevin Castile who was out there, who was one of still one of the top masters runners in the country today. And Matt was from Brockton, Massachusetts and where I went to school bordered Brockton, Massachusetts. So we sort of had that, you know, kind of connection. And, And I just, I went out there without knowing anyone and without really having a job, I did have a roof over my head and I was willing to give it a shot. And, and the running was great. And I'd never been to Eugene before. I was like, well, this is track town USA. This is like where Steve Prefontaine <laughs> was from and Bill Dillinger yeah, and like Alberto yeah. Salazar and like all these guys, like this is where my dream is going to become a reality. Yeah. And the actual reality was that I, I couldn't find a job. I had applied for one at a temp agency in Eugene. I couldn't even get, I couldn't get a job at like even Starbucks because I didn't drink coffee at the time and oh. I knew nothing about it. And like to be a barista in the Pacific Northwest is like, oh that is a good job to have. You got to know your stuff, even at a Starbucks. So couldn't get a job at Starbucks. Uh, couldn't get a job at the local, the local running shop that helped support the team. They could give me like, I think they said like five hours a week, like one half shift a week, which wouldn't even pay for my groceries. So I'm like, okay, that wouldn't work out. Uh, so I, I went and applied at a temp agency and through the temp agency, I got a job like cleaning out apartments near the university of Oregon. And it was again, like minimum wage. And I was trying to run like a hundred miles a week around it. After two months, I was just miserable. I was miserable. I was broke. Um, I, I just, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like this isn't, this isn't like a great fit. Um, I should move back home and figure out what I'm going to do next. Cause I got to start paying my college loans back and I have no money. And it was just like, yeah, a very like, you know, 
in retrospect, I'm like, it was pretty bold of me to go out there as yeah. a 20, what was I, 22 years old, uh, not knowing anyone, not having any money, having no real plan um, other than to, you know, to run. But I learned a lot in, in those yeah. couple of months. And I moved back home to Massachusetts into my parents' basement. Um, I was scouring the want ads in the newspaper for a job, the classifieds, uh, those, you know, little small print things. And I found a I found a listing for a job at that newspaper, the Worcester Telegram Gazette, in the sports department for 16 hours a week, four four-hour shifts uh, from 5 to 9 p.m. And it was in the sports department answering phones and taking stats from high school and college coaches. And I would take those stats and I would be the guy who created the box scores in the back of the newspaper. And then I would write these little like two or three sentence roundups. So I, I got that job right away and it just sounded fun to me. I'm like, Oh, I read the sports page every day. This will be great. It's my hometown newspaper. I've been reading it since I was like a little kid. Uh, that's not going to be enough to pay my loans back. So I need to find something else. I found another job at the newspaper, which was in the morning working in telemarketing Monday through Friday. Oh it, was like, it was like five hours, uh, five hours a day, um, from, you know, like nine to two. And I was cold calling people trying to sell the newspaper oh or trying God. to get them to re up their subscriptions. But it one, it, you know, put money in my pocket so I could pay my bills, but it also offered health insurance because I was losing that, um, uh, at the time. And, and my parents like, you need to find a job with health insurance. And I was like, I don't want to work full time. So I still want to train. I was still like thinking like, okay, what can I do yeah. so that I can still like train at a high level because I still think I can make it. And I joined, you know, Boston has a great post-collegiate running scene. There are a ton of clubs that have been around for a long time. Boston Athletic Association, Greater Boston Track Club, uh, yeah. then Reebok Boston, then New Balance Boston, now Battle Road Track Club, um, World Away Sports, like all these clubs and just a great, uh, you know, just a great racing scene. And I was like, okay, I think I can, you know, I can join one of these teams and I can train with guys who are better than me uh, and I can still make it work. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I absolutely love this because you're such a testament to not giving up on your dream, prioritizing what is important to you and just, and, and going for it. I mean, to mm -hmm. me, none of that sounds like sacrifice. It just seems like you, you found something that you're passionate about and you kind of, and you just, and you just, you just go for it. You're all in. I mean, I think that's probably, I mean, but when did the trans, when did the translation happen between like how many years did you try to do this before you actually kind of figured out that maybe coaching would kind of fit into the mix? Because I, I mean, I want to touch on that. Like I have so many questions for you, but like now you, you coach so many different types of runners, like from road runners to ultra marathoners to people competing mm -hmm. to try to get their big break at the Olympic trials. Like where did this kind of, and you've still had a lot of good results um, from, from your racing. I mean, your marathon best is what, 227? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so seconds, that's an interesting I question. I, I don't know when the flip happened or if a flip has ever really happened. Uh, well, I mean, it seems like lot. you've always been that way from the beginning of when you got into running. Like you yeah. were coaching yourself. Well, so from the coaching standpoint, how I, I got my start, so yeah. to speak, in coaching <laughs> runners, I graduated in 2004 and a number of my teammates that graduated along with me and went on to work more conventional nine to five jobs right out of school, still wanted to run, but yeah. we weren't in that team environment anymore. We did never coach. They had, they were all living their own lives. They knew how much of a nerd I was and how much I studied <laughs> training and geeked out about that sort of stuff. 
and a few of them asked me if I would just write them training programs to either prepare for their first half marathon mm -hmm. or run the post-collegiate cross-country scene in Boston, which was like Mayor's Cup and a couple of other races, and just help them out with that, like just writing them schedules. And I was like, sure, yeah. I'd love to. And that's what I did. I would write them schedules and I would email it to them every week. Uh, and that's sort of how I, I got my start helping other runners toward their goals. And I'm going to put the part about my own running on pause for a little bit to talk a bit more about the coaching side of it. But a couple years after um, I had started the newspaper, I picked up some part-time hours at a local running shop yeah. in central Massachusetts where I lived called PR Running. And every day there were people coming in the store asking us certainly yeah, about shoes and apparel, but about injury prevention, about how to train for a marathon, what workouts I'd recommend, blah, 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 blah. Because hmm. you walk into a running store and you're like, oh, these people should be experts on their domain. And they're, they're not always experts no. on their domain. And I certainly was not, you know, at the time I had some experience as an athlete, but I was far from an expert in injury prevention or training or anything like that. But I did know more than most of these people walking in and could just help lend some insight toward them. And some of those customers asked me if I offered coaching. And I said, sure, um, I'm happy to coach you. And I didn't take any money for it. I remember there was this woman, Wendy, that I worked with. She was in her late 40s. She'd never run before. She wanted to run the 5K at this Disney event with her daughter. That's Could amazing. I help her run her first 5K? And I would meet her at the track every Wednesday. And we would like run the straightaways and jog the turns and run the straightaways and jog the turns. And I would write her little walk-run programs. and she finished her 5k and caught the bug and it snowballed from there and went 10k to half marathon and, and marathons. I was working like with that type of athlete. I was also doing some freelance writing at the time for now, uh, RIP running times, which was my favorite running magazine uh, of all time. Yeah. I wrote for them for a couple of years and I was writing training articles, not where I was the expert, but I was the writer and I would go seek out experts and ask questions about training and formulate an article about how to taper for a race or different types of long runs that you could do. And I had some people reach out to me after reading those articles via email saying, Hey, do you offer coaching? I'm like, sure. I offer coaching. Um, and <laughs> I would help them train for their events. I didn't have a website. I didn't have any software that I used. It was just me emailing them schedules every week and texting wasn't quite as ubiquitous as it is now. You could certainly text, <laughs> but you just, it was a lot harder to do on those little flip phones. Oh, um, man, I remember that. Like, yep, exactly. You didn't have, but, you had to press the number three times to get to the letter you needed. <laughs> yeah. But I always had like three to five athletes that I was working with, you know, at, you know, at any time while I was doing other things to make my living, whether that was, you know, I worked at the newspaper for a while, then I was like, part-time at the newspaper, part-time at the running shop. Then eventually I was full-time at the running shop and doing some freelancing. And then eventually mm -hmm. I moved on to work at Competitor Magazine for six years and coaching all along through this. But that certainly evolved. And it was, you know, always, a, it wasn't even a side hustle. It was just something I, I did on the side. So I, did, I mean, I didn't make any money from coaching until yeah. probably like 2011. And I always enjoyed it. And it was you know, I had in my mind at the time, like, you know, wheels started turning. I'm like, okay, I want to spend my working time coaching other runners. I really enjoy that. If I could find a way 
to do that for a living. It'd be great. I, I had no interest in coaching high school or college, mostly yeah. because I didn't want to deal with bureaucracy, parents, <laughs> or politics. Oh, uh, but yes. <laughs> I, I liked coaching one-on-one athletes. I liked coaching local runners, but I didn't know how I was going to be able to do that you know, professionally. And then I, I wanted to write. I, I've always loved writing. I majored in philosophy in college. And one of the reasons I majored in philosophy is because I didn't have to take many tests. I had to write papers instead. And I'd much rather write a paper than take a test. Oh, and yep. when I worked at the newspaper, as I told you, um, that first job that I had taking stats over the phone, I had to write these little two, three sentence write-ups for high school and college games. That was like a huge thrill for me. I love taking these like tiny little bits of information and forming a story out of it that I hadn't even been to the game, but I was like, okay, give me like, give me a couple little nuggets to work with. And I will try to write the best two to three sentence roundup that I can possibly write. And I got a huge thrill when I would see that in the paper the next day, even though my name wasn't on it. But I was like, Oh, I had like just this little bit of information. And like, I told someone, what happened in that game. I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. And I, I eventually started writing more and I was doing some interviews for some now defunct websites, uh, <laughs> mensracing.com, fastwomen.com. So I was planting a lot of the seeds for what I'm doing now as someone who spends most of his working time coaching and then yeah. also writing and asking people <laughs> questions over yeah. my podcast. Well, because yeah, exactly. You have a podcast. I've been on your podcast, uh, The Morning Show. So, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> it's one of my favorite episodes. That sounds really weird and narcissistic, but it's not. <laughs> well, it was a great. It was just a really great conversation, and I had no idea what to expect going into it. An hour and forty-two minutes later, we realized we had to wrap things up. Um, I know. I, I feel like, yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, like we could probably go for that long this time too. But um, man, I just, I just love talking about like all the history and things. But to me, it sounds like just. It's been in your, I mean, I'm a scientist by heart, so I'm always just mm-hmm. like in your like DNA or just like in the essence of who you are that just like coaching has kind of always been there. It's just like, it's a, it's a way that you like to research, but it's a way that you like to help people. I mean, I think that running has, has taught me so much about myself and it's brought me closer to community and learning more about other people and like building those relationships. It's just such a cool sport. And I think coaching can be a really cool way to support someone in like a very selfless way to like help them achieve their, their goals, no matter how basic or audacious they are. Um, And there's nothing more gratifying than that, really, Um, to see someone accomplish something that they set out to do long ago and taking that a step further, accomplishing something that they couldn't even see Mm -hmm. maybe a few months or a few years prior. There is no better feeling than helping someone realize that and seeing that happen when you're actually at the race and you can be there to to witness it or just like, I don't know, almost like see the light bulb, you know, go off when yep. things like really start to click for them. They're like, oh, maybe I am capable of, yeah. of this. Uh, and it's just going to take like a little bit more work or whatever. Yeah. And to be there like every step of the way along with them, like guiding it and kind of learning from one another. Um, I mean, a question that I have for you is because, I mean, primarily, I mean, I'm an ultra runner and I know you mm-hmm. coach ultra runners and, um, I mean, with, with CTS, like we, we focus on like ultra running, coaching people as well. Um, I just think it's interesting because the world of ultra running, I think is in its kind of infancy, at least in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a rather niche sport, but it's, it's growing in popularity, um, versus, you know, road running, it's has a, a huge history. It's, it's 
um, quote unquote mainstream, especially like in the United States, um, you know, track cross country, this kind of stuff, even up to the distance of the marathon. But there's more and more people, I think, who are coming from the road side of things. Um, maybe they've like missed the mark with like these super fast times of like an Olympic trial marathon. Um, they're really fast, talented people. And then they try, they're kind of like trying their realm in ultra running. And some of them blow up, like they learn that maybe it's not as trans- translatable, but others are just having like great success. And I see this like crossover. Um, do you as a coach think that there's like a, a purpose for like, you know, road leading to trail or like if someone's an ultra runner, like should they run roads? Um, as, yeah. That's another interesting question because people get into ultra running, as you just described, for a number of different reasons. I think speaking for some of the athletes that I coach who are now accomplished ultra runners and got into it from that competitive road background, not all of them, but a lot of them were just burnt out and bored on the roads. They wanted (laughs) to do something other than chase splits all the time or try and qualify for the Olympic trials or Boston or, you know, whatever it may be. They just, they needed something new because they had been in this, cycle of two marathons a year for five years and it was starting to get old and a little bit stale and that sort of thing. Tim Tolfson's a great example. He's lived in Mammoth Lakes, California for quite a while. Mm -hmm. He had run Olympic trials qualifying time in the marathon. He'd run like 218, 20 something. He was doing some training with Dina Castor. He's in these amazingly beautiful mountains and they would run they call it green church road back and forth all the time. He'd run the same little roads down. He'd never went up, you know, in the mountains and he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm in this beautiful mountain town and I can't even go up there and explore because it's not going to help me become a better road marathoner and it doesn't really translate and I might get hurt and all this stuff. And he really just, he wanted to go see what was up there. Like literally wanted to go see, you know, kind of what was up there. And he kind of gotten to a point where he'd run 218 something in the marathon, you know, a few times. He's like, I am beating my head against the wall to (laughs) take a few more seconds off of my marathon time. And I don't want to let that define me as a runner or put all this pressure on myself that if I don't run faster in the marathon, then I'm not successful. Like, Mm -hmm. let me like dip my toes in this, in this ultra thing and Mm -hmm. see what's there. And here we are five years later, almost six years later. And it's funny uh, speaking about Tim, like I want him to go back and like actually train for another road marathon at some point <laughs> to break things up. Cause he's been all ultra all the time now for yeah. the last five or six years. Yeah. Um, but he's had great success at it. And I, I think, you know, to answer another part of your question, you do have some faster road athletes who get into ultra marathons and it humbles them right mm-hmm. away because mm-hmm. they have this high level of fitness, but they can't really use it yet for whatever reason. Um, yeah. but, if they give themselves time and they give themselves time to develop their skills and get comfortable, like in those types of environments and learn how to fuel properly, um, they are from a pure fitness standpoint, they're at a different level than a lot of the people who are getting into ultra running from different backgrounds. And that puts them at a huge advantage. But oftentimes it takes a few years because they have to gain a lot of experience, especially on technical terrain. I mean, someone like Rob Carr is a great example. I don't coach Rob, but Rob was a very good 1500 meter runner 
at Butler. He had run like 224, you know, in the marathon. I remember him telling me that when he first moved to Flagstaff, one of the first trail runs that he went on, he was like, what the hell am I getting into? This is like super technical. I'm going to break my ankle, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now like, you know, many, this was, you know, many years later, he's like, Oh, that I've learned. That's like the most mellow trail that I run now. And it's no, yeah. big deal. it and just I, took I'm, him a few exactly. years to kind of get comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, and I remember so. running with him in like Chile last year and he was like, Hillary, this is the most technical trail I've run on. It was actually like a really technical trail. I was really proud of him. And of course he comes in his little like road flats. I'm like, Rob, what are you doing? Like, yeah. So there's, there's a guy who ran Western States and lunar racers for the oh, longest yeah. time, which is, uh, I mean, I know. A road great. So insane. But no, I mean, so I know that you like, you still coach people who are, you know, trying for the Olympic trials. And then you also coach these like a 5k runner and you also coach Mm -hmm. ultra marathoners. Is it hard for you to kind of like navigate the differences in like a training plan for a short distance runner versus a long distance? Or do you think it's kind of like the same overall recipe? No, it's certainly not the same overall recipe, (laughs) but it keeps things interesting for me. I like working with a wide variety of athletes and that's both in terms of disciplines, experience levels, um, and, you know, competitive goals that people are, are chasing after that keeps things like fresh and exciting for me because Mm -hmm. I'm working with someone one day who is trying to qualify the Olympic trials. And then I've got someone who is trying to finish their first 50k or 50 mile or someone who's trying to get on the podium at UTMB and it keeps that diversity keeps things interesting for me and you know I it's in I mean I had zero interest or knowledge of ultra running prior to 2014 I moved to the Bay Area 2014 I fell into a great community with San Francisco running company all these guys that were suddenly my training partners were all preparing for Western States 100, which I had heard of, but I didn't know anything about. And my curiosity got the best of me. I started asking them questions. This is like Dylan Bowman and, you know, Brett Rivers and Jorge Maravilla and Alex Farnham. How do you train for these things? Mm -hmm. Like, do you go like someone for me is racing, like we race a marathon. It's 26.2 miles. Our long runs like 20, 22 miles. Do you go on 80 mile long runs? Like, what do you do? Like, I had no idea. Yeah, because I mean, um, if you come at it from a marathon training point of view, like you would think so. Yeah, I'm like I have no have no idea. I'm like, do you do speed workouts because you're never really yeah. running that fast when you're running, yeah. you know, 100 miles? Like, how does how does this work? So I was like, I was really curious about it from that standpoint. Um, as an athlete, I had raced marathons to that point. I'd never gone beyond that, and within three months of moving here, I ran my first 50k, and I still <laughs> remember being out on a run with Brett Rivers. Uh, we were all running the way too cool 50k that year, and Brett's like, yeah, like totally serious. He goes, yeah, this is speed work for summer hundreds. And I'm like, I don't know if I can make it eight more kilometers after a marathon. <laughs> so just like the mindset of it was, was, you know, very different. And, you know, much like when I was in high school, just getting into the sport, curious about how people train to run faster. I became very curious about how do people train to run longer, uh, and run longer, successfully. So I just started asking questions of these people, started reading whatever books I could find. Wasn't really into podcasts yet, but just trying to dig up as much information as, as I could find. And honestly, couldn't really find well, a ton on I was just about it. to and, say it because ultra running, I think from a scientific perspective, and as far as like publishing, like there's not really that much published scientific data for ultra running. There is for maybe, I would think like 
uh, the like, cross country skiing, right? There's like 50 K yeah. races for that. Or like, actually when I was looking up this stuff, it was like the most information I could find about endurance racing was from horse races. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I mean, the birth of Western States, but literally there was like, and they would take it the same way. Like these stallions would race these like 80 kilometer, hundred mile races, like twice a year. And there's all these training protocols for them. And I was just like, huh? Okay. <laughs> and a lot more has come out. Yeah. In the last five years since I first started dipping my toes in this deeper water. Yeah. <laughs> but for the marathon um, and other events, but like 5K, half marathon, these are like very like standardized differences. And I mean, up to like the half marathon, like you can run mile 5K, 10K on the track or on the roads, but the training is not really much different. Um, maybe you do more road workouts when you're getting ready for a road race versus the track, but you could still do track workouts and get ready for the road. Yeah. Um, in the marathon, you can run a flat, fast marathon or you could run like a hilly marathon. But, you know, if you're trying to run just to use a, a round number, like you're trying to break three hours in the marathon, you're going to go to like a course like CIM that's known as flat and fast. And that's where you can get into that 650 rhythm and break, you know, three hours. Yeah. You know, it's it's a different course than say New York, which is hillier and it yeah. breaks up your rhythm because it's, you know, more of like kind of cross country style and your splits are going to be a little bit more erratic. But maybe there you run a similar effort and you run like, you know, 305 or 306 rather than 259. So it's like the, the difference in the amount of time that you're out there is, is not that much from like a quote unquote hilly marathon course to like a flat marathon course. Whereas I start looking at these ultra races and you're like, Oh, well, here's way too cool, which is like a quote unquote fast 50 K, you know, on the trails and the top guys are running like three teens to three twenty, and the top women are running like in the three forties, three fifties versus something like say speed goat, which is like, you know, if you're a top male, you know, you're running, you know, not three hours and 15 minutes, but more like four hours and like 34, five hours. I don't even remember. like what. I I won that race in like six hours, 40 minutes, something like this. So my, yeah. my point being like orders of magnitude and difference in terms of like one fifty K is not like the other fifty K. No. So it's like, well, you know, you you probably shouldn't train the same way for a race that's gonna be three hours and fifteen minutes versus uh <laughs> the same distance that's gonna yeah. be like five hours and fifteen minutes. So it's like yeah. I just kind of got like really, really curious and you know, I was coaching uh, you know, I was I was still working for a competitor when I moved up here as my full-time job, but I was still coaching, you know, probably half a dozen athletes or so. Um, in addition to that, and, you know, Tim had reached out to me, uh, we'd known each other before he got into ultras and before I started coaching ultra runners. And, you know, he asked me if I would start coaching him for, for ultras. He had already won the U S 50 K title on his own and his, his first, uh, you know, in his first go at it. And he, you know, he kind of got into that cycle of like, Oh, there are all these races and all these opportunities. Like, I need someone to help me put the yeah. brakes on, or I'm just going to burn myself out because I want to have a long career. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, dude, I've never coached an ultra runner. Like, I, I, I'm interested in it. I'm curious, but I'm like, I've never coached an ultra runner. He's like, well, I haven't really run many ultras. He's like, we can, we'll figure this out together. <laughs> and I mean, the two of us have been working together for the last five plus years, right around the same time. You know, Ia Wang, who lives in. Yep. the bay here with me i had gone running with her quite a few times she knew that i was coaching um read a bit of my stuff she comes from similar background to tim whereas i mean she yep. didn't run collegiately but she had run some fast road marathons and half marathons and you know had already dipped her toes sort of in in the ultra world but hadn't had you know the success that she thought she could have yet and she asked me if i would start coaching her to get ready for 
this was the the Lake Sonoma 50 mile the first year that she ended up winning it. But she hadn't even finished a 50 mile to that point. And I told her the same thing. I'm like, look, I'm I'd love to work with you. I'd love to coach you, but I I've run 150k. I, I think I've run maybe two at that point. Um, I was like, that's my experience as an athlete, and I've never coached an ultra runner, and I'm still trying to understand how to sort of like best prepare for these things. But there was, I mean, they'd have to answer this question, but there was something that. A, I guess about my background or experience that they wanted to work with me, you know, toward this goal, knowing that I didn't have a ton of experience. And I mean, they were essentially sort of my, my guinea pigs and I yeah. fortunate that I'm, I'm still working with a lot of them, you know, today, but that was sort of my education along with like, you know, reading articles and books by one of your colleagues, Jason Coop and yep. you know, how I still have like how corners field guide to ultra running. I was reading through like all this, like, you know, kind of old, you know, older stuff. And I don't know where I'm going as I'm rambling here, but you know, that was like my, you know, my education to coaching ultra runners, but I was still also coaching, you know, marathoners, half marathoners, 5k, you know, runners. And I think as, as runners and maybe as coaches, you have people who like will pigeonhole themselves and say, I'm an ultra runner or I'm a marathoner, um, or I'm an ultra marathon coach or I'm a marathon coach Mm -hmm. or I coach beginners. And for me, like I, I've never really, tried to put myself in any one silo like I love running I mean that's like one of the things about my you know entire career as an athlete as a coach as someone who's worked in the media I'm interested in all of it I'm I'm interested in why people get into something like an ultra race as much as I am to like as much as I am like how they train for it um you know all these different disciplines like within within running I think people tend to stay with what they know and maybe what they're most comfortable with or where they feel like they fit in the best. And and for me, I have just always had a natural curiosity, but an interest in all of it. I, I want to, you know, I want to understand all these different corners of the sport from a motivation standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, from a technical and training standpoint. And I mean, I think that's, you know, why I work with the range of runners that I work with from a, a coaching standpoint. Like I work with ultra runners. I work with marathoners. I had people this summer who were training for mile races on the track and yeah. I love all of it. And it's the same thing with what I do with my podcast. I've had accomplished yeah. ultra and sky runners such as yourself on. I've had fast marathoners on like Shalane Flanagan and Des Linden. I have had people who are using running to do good in the world through stuff like Girls Gotta Run or Back on My Feet. Like I'm just really interested in the different ways that people are using running for competition to do good things in the world for self-improvement. And I think a lot of that is reflected in my work as a coach and as a media person and also as an athlete because i've i've raced everything literally from the 400 to at this point 50 miles and possibly longer in the future (laughs) i love that oh my gosh i mean i think this is a perfect place to end and i think the 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 overall take-home message i think is just to stay curious i mean we're like we can learn together and i think you're right like running is running and you don't need to pigeonhole yourself into one discipline or one type of trail running or you know like i only run you know this distance or you know i only run non-technical trails i mean the the whole world like you can learn so much about it if you're just willing to try i think that's where the magic is yeah i think the takeaway from this conversation is be curious ask questions be open-minded 
be okay with trying new things, be okay with failing at those things and embrace it all. Um, I think when you embrace it all and, you know, even if you aren't particularly attracted to running 50 and 100 mile races, get to know people who do and understand, you know, how, why they're going at it the way that they are and, you know, vice versa. And I think if we can all do that, you're, we're going to be more well-rounded. We're going to kind of understand people better. And, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, just from like a training standpoint, like a lot of what I've learned over the years, training 5k runners, half marathoners, marathoners, I can apply to coaching ultra runners. And what I've learned coaching ultra runners, I've been able to take back and like switch some things up with how I prepare half marathoners and marathoners. And, you know, I wouldn't have that kind of perspective if I wasn't curious, if I didn't ask questions and if I didn't care to understand like this whole other side of the sport that was previously foreign to me. Yeah. And to believe, like to go, to go all in in something that matters to you, you know, and whatever. Again, it's, it's, yeah, it's making it a priority, not a sacrifice. Yeah. Oh man, the wise words. (laughs) I love this. It's, It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. It's always fun talking to you, Hillary. Ah, you too. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast. You can find social links and more information from our guests. And you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. You can leave us a rating on iTunes there too. Hope you guys tune in next week. <laughs>